0: with Jesus is all about this idea that no one who spent time with Jesus came away unchanged. Um, We talked last week about a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, but he spent 40 minutes with Jesus, and it changed the whole trajectory of his life. Um, The disciples... Peter, James, Andrew, they spent time with Jesus. It changed their life. And when you come to Jesus, it can change your life too. And I believe God wants to do that. So not only do we have the journal, we have the messages here over the next six weeks. We also have those 40 Days with Jesus study groups. So if you join a community group, you'll be studying in groups what we talk about here on Sundays. And lastly, we have memory cards. You can get those in the back. I hope you'll do that. The theme of our message today is connection. It's about Jesus' connection with his Father. I don't know about you, but for me, life seems to be speeding up. The older I get, the more responsibilities I have in my life, the faster life gets. I always think, like, oh, this next season. Like, when I was in school, I thought, you know, I graduate from school, it's gonna be great, life is gonna slow down. And it did not work like that. And then I thought, you know, once I get a little bit older and I get better at what I'm doing, then things will get simpler. But uh, somewhere along the way, I had three kids. And so life is just wildly out of control for me now. But the pace of my life has sped up so much that my wife and I have to fight for time together. And sometimes we, every Sunday night, we sit down, we pull out our calendars and we look at the week ahead, and we look at what's happening. And there will be weeks when we we both look at our calendar between uh, church and children's activities, and if oh forget it if family comes into town, you're toast, you're done. If you have visitors who come in, and and we look at our calendar, and there's not a single night that we have where we she and I can just be together, and we kind of sigh deeply and we say, you know what, I'll see you next Sunday night. I'll see you I'll see you in a week, and we're like ships past. So we have to fight for. Our relationship. And if we don't fight for it, if we don't work to keep our relationship warm, we don't work to keep our relationship hot, it cools off. Have you ever noticed that? That with relationships you care about, especially once you get out of school, that if you're not fighting for them to heat them up, they're cooling off. That's just how relationships work. And as you live in the city, the pace of life gets faster and faster and faster. You have to fight for connection. I was at Mary Ellen McCormick, which I mentioned a few, weeks, uh, a few minutes ago here. This was a, a couple weeks ago, and my wife and I were there. We were, around, um, we were walking around the development, and we were asking people if they wanted to talk about Jesus. Because if you've ever ever wondered, like, how could I talk to people about Jesus? You you can walk up to them and you say, hey, we're talking to people about Jesus. Would you like to talk? And if they say no, we say, what kind of idiot doesn't want to talk about Jesus? No, I'm I'm just kidding. We say, oh, okay, nice. And we move on. And so we we walked up to this woman. We were talking with her and praying with her. We're just asking about her life. And um, she, every day of her life, she has to uh, commute from Southie to Quincy. So she has to walk to take a bus, to take a train to take a bus, to walk to get to her job at a retirement community. And then at night, she has to turn around and do the exact same thing in reverse. And so there's multiple hours of her day that are taken up just with trying to get to a job to make like 15 bucks an hour. And you know, I think with somebody with a pace like that, it's like how do you make time for the connections that are so important in your life? You see, for all of us, it, it might you, you, you probably don't have kids if you're a part of Renewal Church. Some of us do, right? Um, you may not have to commute. You may just get to walk a couple blocks down the street. But all of us have things that are pushing the pace of life faster for us, whether it's exams or it's responsibilities at work or work is understaffed and so we're in a really busy season or you have to travel for your job. And so all these things speed life up. And the faster life gets, the more you have to work to keep your relationships hot, to keep those relationships uh, A deep connection and keep them meaningful. So here's a question. If that's how relationships with people work, why would your relationship with God be any different? Or put it put it another way, can you live at warp speed without warping your soul? If If the pace of life is speeding up and speeding up and speeding up because of the responsibilities you take on and you never slow down for connection with God? Will your relationship with God be uh, deeper and more meaningful and a more central part of your life, or will it slowly cool off? And of course, we know the answer to that. So Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus was deeply connected with his father in a way that was utterly unique in human history, and so he models what this looks like for us. And he, as we're going to look at his life in just a minute, we're going to look in the Bible at how Jesus did this and what that, what that means for us, um, you know, this was, uh, this was the core anchoring relationship of Jesus' life, and it has the potential to be that for you as well, um, that when this relationship is strong, you move out into the world in strength, and when this relationship is weak, you move out into the world in weakness. So this, potential, this relationship has the potential to be anchoring for you. Now, I also know that for some of you, we're talking about connecting with your heavenly Father, and for some of you, this is, is going to be a real struggle and a real challenge, because your relationship with your father was troubled. And for you, this idea of connecting to a father brings up all kinds of stuff inside you that you're like, I'm not even sure that I wanna go there. Or for some of you, your father was just distant and absent for your life, and so this actually brings up some fear and insecurity, and you think to yourself, I'm not even sure I know how to connect with a father figure. Like I don't know how that happens. Or for some of you, just in general, your relationships with men have been troubled, and you have very good reasons for that. And, and so you're just like, man, this idea of just connecting deeply with with a male figure, I like, it's it just, it's just, it's strange to me. I don't know that I want to engage in that. And I want to, ch- I want to, I want to, I want to invite you into this because I actually believe that part of how God heals that place in your soul, like part of how the hurts and the hangups are healed, is you connect to your perfectly heaven, heavenly, your perfect heavenly Father. And he transforms that place in your soul so you learn what it can be in a healthy way. And so for some of you, this is going to be a real stretch. And for others of you, you know, you grew up in church and you're like, I I love connecting to my heavenly father. For others of you, you had a great dad and you're like, I love this. And for some of you, it's going to be a real stretch. I want to invite you and say, you know, this could be a good thing for you. This might heal a very deep place in your life. We're going to look at Jesus connecting to his heavenly father and we're going to see how that works out in our own life. But before we look at the specific instances of this happening in Jesus' life, I want to just talk about the importance of this for a second, for one more second in your life the importance of connecting with your Heavenly Father. You know, this relationship with your Heavenly Father, I mentioned it could be anchoring. This is a relationship that will bring peace for you. This is a relationship that will help to limit the anxiety in your life and give you a great confidence and peace. And if you don't have it, you'll live in anxiety. If you don't have this relationship with your heavenly father, instead of living out of a place of confident hope, what the Bible would call faith, um, you'll live in a place where you're constantly reacting to your fears. You're worried about what other people are going to say. You know, people will be very big in your eyes. And so you think, like, I'm I'm worried about what that person says to me, what that person thinks to me, what that person can do to me. And so you're living in light of your fears instead of living in light of faith, that confidence, assurance, and hope that the future will be good. And it's also, and I think this is the most important fundamental thing, this is, for me, um, is that you were made for a relationship with God. Like, I, I don't think this is something that, I, you know, and that may be a new thought to you. You're like, you know, that, that's interesting. Some people need God in their lives. I don't really need God in my life right now. My, things are going pretty great. But we were actually made and created for this relationship to be the foundational relationship. The Bible says that God is our creator. He, he made us. And just like, you know, if you grew up without a dad, you can get to this place where you say, like, I don't need my dad. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a strong, healthy, confident person. I don't need that. I'm fine, I'm, I'm fine on my own. And maybe you are, but there will always be a place in your heart that misses that relationship because you were created for it. That's how it is with God, because God made you. He, he has that heavenly father role in your life. And so even if you say, like, I'm doing great right now, and maybe you are, you're still made for that. You're still missing that relationship in your life. And we're going to see how foundational that is. It was foundational in the life of Jesus. It was foundational in our lives, too. This is actually the whole point of why Jesus came to earth. You know, uh, people, we get, Christians, we get hung up on all sorts of uh, secondary issues. But um, I want to share with you a verse from 1 Peter three eighteen. It says, that, and this is actually in your, your teaching notes today, which look like this. So you can pull these out and follow along with us today. It says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. And I want you to circle the phrase, bring you safely home to God in your notes. It's like Jesus died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven. But, but a lot of times we don't stop and ask, well, why did he do that? What was the purpose or what was the point or the goal of that? It is actually to bring you safely home to God, to bring you to God so that you could know him, so that you could have a relationship with him, so that 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 missing piece of your life could be full, so that you could be put in a right relationship with him. He brought you to God. I was thinking about this uh, this week, and I I have uh, children in my house. I have small children. My littlest one is three, which means I've had three three three-year-olds so far in my life. Jude is eight now. He was three once. So I have this little three-year-old. Her name is Amelia. And one of the things I've noticed about three-year-olds is that they all react to presents the exact same way. You give a three-year-old a present. And what do they do? They unwrap it. So let's have some fun. Always feels good to unwrap a present. And let's see. Their brother and sister help them. That's part of it. They get something that you've, you've really thought about this. You know, you've thought about this. You're like, oh, I know her. I know what she's going to love. You know, you're like, I'm just, this is just for her. This is a special present just for her. I bought this. This cost me money, like real money that I was going to spend on myself at Flower, but instead it's going to this <laughs> kid. And so, and then here it is. She pulls out the toy. Now, this is actually more like a present for her mom. You know what I'm saying? Okay, and then what do they do? They put this down and they pick up the wrapping paper and they play with the wrapping paper. For an hour, for hours. They literally, in my house is an actual box. It's about three times the size of this that is painted as a boat. It has a mast, it has a sail. And she, my, my daughter has been playing in this box for hours. I'm a little worried about her. You know, it's like, they, they, they just play with the wrapping paper. And I think I'm I, I'm concerned because what I've seen over the years in, in Christianity, and I'm guilty of this. I've seen this so many times, is that God has given us this treasure. He's given us this prize. He's given. He's brought us to God. The presence of God is what Jesus bought for us. He paid for it. You know, he paid for it with his own life, with his own blood. And instead of treasuring the thing he got for us, that he won for us, we're playing with the wrapping paper. And so we're, you know, we're showing up at church and we're serving and that's a good thing, but it's not the prize. You know, it's like, you know, we go and we do good things and we show mercy in our community and that's a great thing, but it's, it's not the prize. And we, you know, we go to our groups and we have relationships and we have great friendships and church, a church is, is built on relationships and we, we build this fellowship with other people and it's a good thing, but it's not the prize. And so if you're living... As a Christian, or you're living, uh, or you're not a Christian, you're living without this, you're missing the treasure of life. The whole thing that was bought for you at incredible price. Like, this is the thing. And we're too many times, we're setting it aside. Because we're, as life speeds up, we're not slowing down to spend time with our Father. Jesus died to bring you to God. God. He brought you this gift of the presence of God and we're, we're just not even engaging with it. We're doing everything else but the one thing that Jesus bought for us. He has brought us safely home to God and so what would it look like for us to enjoy the treasure and the prize that Jesus has brought us? That's what we're gonna talk about. The trappings of religion are no substitute for the presence of the Father. Now what we're gonna do today is look at the life of Jesus in the book of Luke. And we're not gonna look at one text. What I did was I studied the book of Luke for every time Jesus slows down to be in the presence of his father. And so uh, it starts in chapter four, and there's four different places in particular in the book of Luke, and so we're gonna look at each place in particular as Jesus slows down to connect with his father. And this is so important, because as we go through and we look at Jesus' life, I want you to think about this thought. The more life speeds up, the more I must slow down to connect with my heavenly father. The more life speeds up, the more I must slow down to connect with my heavenly father. Jesus died to bring us to God. The speed and hectic pace of our lives is crowding out God. What does it look like to be deeply connected to him? You're going to see Jesus do this, and I want you to keep in your mind, what would it look like for me to do this like Jesus did it? So here's the the first blanks we're looking at today. Jesus slowed down to connect with his father, number one, to resist the demands of well-meaning people. So you can write that down to resist the demands of well-meaning people. From the very first days of Jesus' ministry in Capernaum, he was slowing down for loving union with his father. That's just, that, was, that, that defined his ministry in so many ways. He was still relatively unknown. He would step away from the demands that everyone was placed on them to connect with God. And everyone seemed to be placing demands on Jesus' time. Everyone wanted, uh, Jesus had the power to heal people, and so people were constantly clamoring for him. Everyone wants a piece of him. And so in this very beginning of the ministry, when it starts to get public and word starts to get out, I mean, think about how your life would speed up if everybody in Boston found out that you had the power to heal people on demand. Could you imagine the pace of your life next week if word got out? And so that's Jesus' life, and look what happens in Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 43. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him, but when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. Now think about that word, begged him, right? They are urgently requesting, because, and why not? Jesus has the power to heal the sick, and they're like, Jesus, listen, I know, but we need you, Jesus. We need you here, in the, and it's my mom, and it's my grandmother, it's my son. You know, it's like, Jesus, we need you here. But Jesus answers them. He replies, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. You see, Jesus, they're begging him to stay, because he can heal the sick, but he, he is able to say no to the urgent demands of the people because he has been with God, and he said yes to God's plan for his life. And so, you know, when those urgent demands come at him, he's able to keep the big picture in mind. And the urgent demands of other people will dominate your life unless you slow down to spend time with God so that you know what he wants you to do. He know, you know what the most important thing is. I think about this... Um, when you are in a relationship with another person. Everybody else has demands on your time, but if you want to value that relationship, you have to say no to other people to, to pour into that relationship. When you're married, it's God's will for you to pour into that relationship and connect with that person. And if you say yes to everyone else if you, and you end up saying no to your spouse, then you're not living in God's will because it's God's will for you to deeply connect with that person to become one flesh with that person that you're married to. You see, you need to be with God to resist the demands of well-meaning people. And if you don't, they will control your life. You see, for us, the more life speeds up, the more we have to slow down to connect with our Heavenly Father. I thought about this financially this week. Someone comes up to you, and they have a great idea. They say, let's go to Cancun this weekend. I say, "That you know what? That's fine right now, but when they say that in February, you're like, sign me up. I am in um, but if you've already been with God and you've been slowing down to connect with your heavenly father and He's set the priorities of your life in regards to generosity and you're like, no, here's how I want to live. Here's how I want to give. Here's how I want to be generous in my life. It allows me to say no to things like that because I've said yes to what God has for me. You can, this happens rel- relationally. This happens financially. In order for you to be able to say no to the demands of well-meaning people, you have to slow down to spend time with God. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Jesus slows down to connect with the Father to be replenished by God. In chapter 4, Jesus' ministry is just starting, but here in chapter 5, Jesus' ministry is taking off. And if you thought the demands in chapter 4 were crazy, what happens in chapter 5 is that the crowds swell so big in Jesus' ministry... That people can't get to him anymore, and so there's these four friends, and they have a they have a fifth friend who's paralyzed, and they're carrying him on a stretcher, and they want to get to Jesus. Now, Jesus is healing people in a home. We don't know which home. It might actually be Peter's uh, mother-in-law's house because that was a sort of a base of operation for Jesus in Capernaum. And so they can't get their friend to Jesus. That's how big the crowds are. That's how much the demands are on Jesus. And so what they do is they climb up on the roof and they dig through the roof and they lower their friend down to Jesus to be healed. Now, there's the, that, that whole story is about faith and forgiveness and getting your, like, all that kind of stuff. But don't miss the picture of what's happening in Jesus' ministry here, that it's going nuts. Like, can you imagine, like, what Jesus, you know, what, is, what, is, what his mother, what his friends, what his brothers would say about this ministry? Like, this is getting out of control. Like, people are climbing on roofs. They're lowering down. They're destroying property. It's getting out of control. And it's in the middle of that speeding up of his ministry that Jesus does this, Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster. And vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Jesus withdrew just to be with his father. The more his life uh, sped up, the more he slowed down to connect with his father. And if you've ever launched a new venture, you know that in the beginning is really not the time to slow down. If you've ever started a business or started a nonprofit or you started a new project or you've dug into this new thing, you know that in the beginning it's a time to go. You put your foot on the gas and you don't let off until things are established. But that's not how Jesus operated. He would often step back, go into the wilderness just to be with his father, and it replenishes him so that he can go back out and do the work that he needed to do. And I think it's also important to feel the weight of what Jesus was doing here. He was healing the sick. He was teaching people about God. You know, it's often been said that if you had the gift of healing and you could just heal people on demand, that you ought to spend more time in the hospitals than on television, you know? And there's really something to that. I mean, you know, think about the pressure you would feel if you had the ability to heal people in an instant, to get out there and work and not to stop. Because every person you touch doesn't just change their life, it changes their family and their extended family. It's a complete game changer for them. And his life was speeding up so fast, the demands that he felt, must have felt upon himself will never compare to the demands we have on on ourselves. And yet he always slowed down to connect deeply with his father. And I think that says something to our excuses that we often have. I mean, I, I do it too. It's like I'm too busy, I have too much going on, there's you know, this thing and it's so important and I just can't and God, you know, it's like when I'm done with this, then I'll come back. But Jesus always, he always served people out of the overflow of that connection with his father. And so what would it look like for you to be replenished by God in the midst of very busy seasons no matter how busy you are? Number three, as we progress, we saw, we saw chapter four, Jesus goes public and connecting with God keeps him focused on what God has asked him to do. In chapter 5, Jesus speeds up, and his connection with God keeps him fueled. And then chapter 6 is the next time we see this, and it's when Jesus needs to make a decision. So number 3 is Jesus connects with the Father before making important decisions. Jesus needs to make a decision. He actually needs to make 12 decisions because he needs to call the 12 disciples. And that decision is going to shape the rest of his time on earth, it's going to shape the fate of his church. You know, he's got to pick 12 disciples who are going to learn from him, imitate him, pass on his teaching, establish the church, bring the message about Jesus to the whole world. This is a huge decision, right? This decision that Jesus is making is bigger than any decision you or I are ever going to make. And if it was us, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had to hire somebody. This is something I had to learn when I became a pastor. It's horrible. Like it's so much work because you gotta look at the resume, try to figure out how they're lying to you because you know they're lying to you on their resume, right? And, so, and then you gotta call the references and then you gotta dig in the references because who puts a reference on there who's gonna actually tell you the truth, right? Like, and they're like, oh yeah, he's a great employee. It's like, well, how much did he steal, right? It's like you just can't trust people, and so you gotta check references, you gotta do background checks, you gotta do. It's just it's crazy amount of work. Jesus has twelve people to pick, and instead of like staying up all night and looking through their paperwork, and they're like, Peter, I think. I think he's an aide on the Enneagram. I don't know if our team needs that, you know? It's like, what he does is he slows down, he goes to God, and he just, he just gets before his heavenly Father in prayer. Let me read to you so you can see in the scriptures where this comes from. Luke 6, 12 and 13. One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 from them to be Apostles. Which is incredible. Like that—that whole scene is incredible to me. Which means there were disciples who were brought up there on the mountain, and then you know, like they come back down, and people are like, "What happened?" They're like, "Jesus picked twelve people," and they're like, "Oh, cool. How did you do?" And you're like, "I didn't get picked, right?" Like there were people who didn't get picked by Jesus on the mountain, which is crazy. But it's like he had this decision to make. He wants the perspective of his father on this decision. He wants the perspective of his father on these people, and as a result, when he decides, he's able to do God's will. And he doesn't say that he just pr- said his prayers; he prayed all night. What a challenge to us! Do you? Could you pray all night? I think that would be a struggle for me. I have. I I have a a, a love love relationship with sleep. I mean, I, I, I love my sleep, you know. But it's like, you, but it reminds me of when I was first uh, when I was back when I was dating Heather. Um, before we were married, and. Um, you guys don't even know. But what, what used to happen on cell phones was you had to pay for your minutes unless it was the nights or the weekends. I know, it was crazy. And so what would happen was after, you know, 8 p.m. my time, 7 p.m. her time, we would call each other and we would talk on the phone just for hours and hours and hours and hours. And to me, that's such a great challenge. It's like, do I have that kind of love for God? That kind of, that kind of relationship with God where I could just spend hours in prayer with him, all night in prayer with him like I did with Heather on the phone? Could it be, you know? And I don't know. That's a, that's a great challenge for us. But do you have you ever prayed like this for an extended period of time when you have a major decision to make? Um, I, I tell my children this all the time. I told my five-year-old this yesterday at the zoo. I said, stop touching that monkey. Now listen, there's three things, there's three decisions you're gonna make that are gonna shape your life. <laughs> it's, that's what parenting's like, if you're wondering. <laughs> I said, number one is what you do with Jesus Christ. That's the salvation question. Will you invite him to be the leader of your life and the forgiver of your sins to bring you to God? The second question is who you will marry. Because that will shape the whole rest of your life if you get married. And can I just, listen, just free, this is. You might, might be your first time here. Let me just give you this for free. It is better to be single than to be married to the wrong person. Can I get it? Amen. amen. Yes. And all, the, and all the Lord's women said, amen, <laughs> right? It is better to be single than to be married to the wrong person. That is a vow you are making that shapes the whole rest of your life, right? Pick someone who is a treasure. Pick someone who's a prize, I accidentally picked the greatest woman in the entire world. Despite my own stupidity, I picked someone who loved Jesus, who was hardworking, and who was frugal. It's like the trifecta of amazing wives. It's like the best woman ever created by God. Um, By the way, thank you, Ken and Shirley. Good job. So... And so, you know, that's the second decision that you make that shapes your life. And the third one is, what are you going to do with what God's given you? With the talents, with the abilities, with the skills? You know, what job are you going to work in? How are you going to have a ministry that serves other people and changes the world and and, and affects the church and and those kinds of questions? And that's a question of impact and legacy. Those questions shape your whole life. And to that list, we could add other important questions like, where are you going to live? What job are you going to have? Should you take time off of work to go back to, like, these big life-shaping questions. When Jesus faced these kinds of questions and and, and, and there was increasing responsibility and he had to make bigger and bigger decisions as his life sped up, he slowed down. He spent all night in prayer with his father. As the responsibility increases in your life and your decisions have bigger impacts and they impact more people, the question is, will we slow down to connect deeply with our heavenly father? All right. All right. The fourth time we see this. Now, we, we saw, it was actually Luke, um, I think it was uh, 4, 5, and 6. And as I was studying this, there's a few other places that might count. But really, the, the, the next time you see this in a crystal clear way in the book of Luke is all the way in Luke chapter 22. Um, it's the last time you see Jesus slowing down to connect with his father. And it's right before he suffers and dies. And in this time, Jesus receives strength for difficult trials. Jesus started slowing down to connect with his father in Capernaum, and he finishes in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because this is the moment in his life, as his life is laid out, when he knows that he's just about to go to the cross. He's just about to suffer at the hands of Pilate. He's just about to die. So the night before that happens, he goes into a garden, as was his habit, and let me read to you what he does from Luke chapter 22. It says, this is a 22, verses 39 through 44. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, the disciples, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. And so he gets by himself and he says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him he prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood and so jesus knows that the end is coming for him he knows that god's plan for him includes a great measure of suffering and i just before we move on i have to pause and just say to you If you're suffering today, that doesn't mean that God's plan is not unfolding for your life. It doesn't mean that God has forgotten you. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It doesn't mean that God's best is waiting for you because if this is what, if Jesus was perfectly following God and God's plan for him included a great measure of suffering, don't think that God's gonna, you know, God's got a special plan for you that's better than Jesus where you're just exempt from the suffering of all human beings. No, he's, he's with you in it. So when Jesus knows that this suffering is coming, because he's Jesus, he goes alone into the presence of his father. And it says, an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Jesus needed strength. He needed resolve to face this trial with faith, to persevere. You know, one of the things about faith is that faith makes you faithful. You know, the ability to follow and obey God, even when it's incredibly difficult or when it's accompanied by suffering. And so Jesus was strengthened by this angel, physically and spiritually, so that he could face what was ahead of him he received strength for his difficult trials. It also says that Jesus was in agony in prayer with his father. But in his time with the father, he received what he needed to obey God willingly. And there are times when prayer is like agony. You say, God, if there's another way to go through, you know, if there's another way to do this, let's do it that way. You go, God, could we go around this problem? You know, God, could we go under this problem? God, could I escape from this problem and God says no this is a trial you are going to have to go through and your prayer is just like agony to you and yet you even in the midst of that you can still receive the strength that you need from God to go through it that's the sort of that's the sort of power that comes from being deeply connected to the father Jesus for him the reason he was in agony and it was like it said his sweat was like great drops of blood is because he knew that he had to go to the cross. He knew he had to pay for your sins, pay for my sins, to bring us safely home to God. That there's no other way for him, that he was fixing a problem that God had, which is God had these kids who had run away from him, and God wanted his kids back. You know, God, like, that's the cross. God wanted his kids back. He wanted you back when you'd run away. And our sins had separated us from God and said, God's said, like, I'm going to fix this problem. And so he's not pointing his finger at you like, hey, get it together. Like, you know, you, you really should do a better job with your quiet time so that I could love you more. Like, that's like the worst father ever. No, instead, God sees this problem. He fixes this problem. He takes all the initiative. So Jesus goes to the cross to pay for our sins because Jesus, and this is, this is really the heart of it. Jesus is not just an example of how to connect to the Father. He's also the way that we can connect to the Father. Jesus is the way that we come into God's presence. If he's just an example, it just crushes you. You just walk around in shame and guilt all the time and think, man, I really should do a better job of spending time with God. I should really do a better job of connecting with the Father. I've totally failed on that for the last 25, 30, 35, 40, 45 years. I think that's like the upper limit of age at our church. You know, nobody's, it's like, It's not just this example that crushes you. He's the Savior that forgives you and redeems you and brings you into the presence of God. And that's something that, according to the Bible, you know, in the Old Testament, in the Bible, there are occasionally people who find themselves in the presence of God. And it's never a great thing. They're always concerned that they're about to be struck dead because they find themselves in the presence of this holy God who's this incredibly just judge which if that breaks your categories for what God is like a little bit, then maybe your categories for God are inadequate. Do you want a God who's okay with sin? Like, no, we want a God who judges sin, a God who says, you know what I hate? I hate people who traffic children. I hate that sin. Like, do we, we want a God who's like, We want a God who's like, I cannot stand rape, a God who says, I cannot stand violence against innocent people, a God who judges all that things. And the Bible says that God is that way. But the surprising and terrifying thing is that God is also against that same sin that resides in our heart, even if we're not expressing it through our hands. And so in the Old Testament, when people find themselves in the presence of God, they're always falling down, crumbling into a heap on the ground saying, woe is me, I'm an unclean person in the presence of a holy God. I could be struck dead for this. They need a way to enter into the presence of this holy God. And when Jesus dies on the cross... He is taking the sin of us unclean people and he's bearing it on himself so that he's excluded from the presence of God on the cross, so that when we step into the presence of God, God's not seeing our sin. He's seeing the righteousness of Christ. Let me show you from the scripture where this comes from. It's Hebrews 4 14 through 16. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He free-faced all of the same testings we, we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So through Jesus... You know, here's the thing, here's the punchline. You can come into the presence of God and you don't have to be afraid. You can come into the presence of God and find his loving embrace instead of his wrath against sin because Jesus already bore that for you. You can come into the presence of God, into the presence of your loving father and find the strength that you need to get through your trials, to find the resilience that you need, to find that, that, the, the power to endure, to find the strength that you need in the presence of God because Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, and then was raised again. You see, Jesus, here's the the thing about three-year-olds. You ready? If you buy them a a precious present, they never ask how much it costs. Never. They don't know any better. It's okay. In our society today, spiritually, we're like three-year-olds. We say you can be in the presence of God, and no one ever stops to say, why did it cost so much? How much did that cost? Jesus has brought us into the presence of God, this loving Father who embraces you and walks with you through life and gives you what you need. He purchased this at the cost of his own life. He purchased this with his blood. And that's why we can come boldly into the throne of grace so as we go through 40 days of, with Jesus, I want to invite you into the presence of your heavenly Father who loves you and cares for you. I'm doing it too. I, I desperately need this. I believe that God is going to use this in such a powerful way to change you. Because when, you, when you're in the presence of the Father, he changes the deepest places of your heart.